back. New show, new day, new month, and year of Megashine. <laughs> Your podcast for all geeky and queer gay stuff from a Black queer perspective. I am Victor. And I'm Nick. What's buzzing? What's what's the tea? What's the 411? What's going on? Well, it's windy in LA. Um, we feel like that we are about to go to Oz, basically. Um, and, you know, it is, you know, moving in five days. Moving in five days. Cannot wait. Pick up those keys, walk into that space, throw out the carpet, everything. So I'm really excited. Very excited. What about you? Oh, we're getting wet, ready for some snow, like <laughs> heavy snow over here. We just finished having ice. So we're going to get hit with the one-two punch over, uh, down in Kentucky, which, I mean, what you going to do? Try to fight it? We're not one of these uh, waterbenders or whatever. We're not storm. <laughs> so we can't do nothing about it. But other than that, what did Gwen Guthrie say? Ain't nothing going on but the ramp. Yep. So. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, we have a lot on this show today. I can't wait for y'all to get into it. Um, we have a, two special guests that y'all will get to hear a little bit later, and we're very excited about that. But first, we're going to get into Aunt May's tea because there's been just nothing but foolishness, fun, and festive mess stuff. I couldn't make up a word, but there's been a lot of stuff that's been going on. Um, we can, let's kind of talk about the second impeachment trial that ended. Um, and we kind of, we already knew that those hoes was not going to acquit him because they're scared. That's sad when you think about it. They're scared of his uh, fans. So they're, they just, they're just going to not I mean, they're not going to call him guilty, but seven of them did. Um, two of those seven are going to run for president. I can tell you that right now. Um, and probably that cute one <laughs> in the house side is going to rather run too. But yeah, all that stuff kind of went down. Um, now, you know, Trump, is, he's off Twitter. We don't have to hear from him and all that good stuff. We get to see Lady G, um, Lindsey Graham out here, you know, continue to be in his fluffer. So I don't know. Again, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised either. I'm like, you know, you bitches are not going to do anything. Yeah, you bitches. I mean, you Republicans. And I don't trust Republicans. I've never trusted Republicans since I've known what a Republican was. Uh, so now we have to worry about, well, now he has to worry about uh, a Southern District of New York, D.C., the actual civil case in DC, cases in Georgia, um, and probably some more, um, since he doesn't have the uh, protection of being a president, which is some bullshit anyway, but I'm not a constitutional lawyer, so I can't get into, I won't get into that, but um, he's gotta go down and he's gotta go down hard, whether it be civil, or and or criminally he's got to go down and those motherfuckers that are um abating him and you know giving him leeway 
and all this jazz, they need to go down too. Yeah, it, office. it's been a mess to watch, but you know what? I do believe he's gonna, they're gonna get him. They're gonna get him because it's like, now it's the chance. And as we said before, you know, if any Republican was really smart, this would be the best time for y'all to try to bury him. You wanna move on, try to bury, jump in, become the Cyrus being that you need to be and get him, you know, start tearing him down because it's sad that he, I don't think he has the clout any more than he went versus like the date the people voted versus after the insurrection. I don't think he has that clout anymore. And, right. I, and I think people need to quit talking about like he has 75. I was like, yeah, that was before the insurrection. Let's see what he has now. And also four years is a long time. So because you know, Americans have short attention spans to begin with. So we'll see, we will see how that goes, but you know, He's, you know, he's out. Biden trying to make sure we get that money. Make sure y'all file your income taxes so you can get that new fourteen hundred. Because <laughs> that's how they, gonna... they need to go ahead and pass that. Because, and first of all, it needs to be more. It doesn't need to be like a one-time fourteen hundred dollars. It needs to be continuous because ain't no way in hell you could pay all of your bills regardless of where you are, which is fourteen hundred dollars. Like these other countries are getting these substantial amounts of payments every month to help. So I just, it doesn't make sense to be do like a one-time payment and then be like, oh, oh, well, that's all we got. Where just two or three short months ago, you all passed the budget for the defense and it was like gobs and gobs of amount of money. So don't tell me we ain't got it. We got it, and they just need to go ahead and do it. So uh, make sure you file income taxes so you can get that extra money, and hopefully they will keep more of these payments going until we're out of it, which may be September, as I've been hearing, you know. And I'm like, you know what? It is what it is at this point. Just right at this point, it yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, we're gonna talk. We're gonna, we, of course, we're gonna talk about one division, but we're gonna before we get into that, let's get to the. The new trailer of Snacks, I can never say it together. Snyder. Snack Schneider's Justice League. That's how it's that's how it's labeled. That's how it's called. What I did notice is how DC don't <laughs> it's basically Zach doing the promotion at HBO Max. DC themselves, I haven't it's I, you can see where there's a, a distance. <laughs> right, right. But um, yeah, this the trailer came out. The new trailer came out today. He was excited. He introduced it. Um, in this trailer, you know, it's more of this of the whole, you know, gritty, grim, dark, depressive, you know, world that he created. But also, he added the Joker. So we are seeing. If you remember the the also the run of Nightmare and uh, Batman comics, that's kind of thrown in there. Um, also, you know, seeing the Joker, Jared Leto version that nobody really cared for, but that's also in there. And also they threw in the, the meme of what a society is. That was kind of the statement that only certain fanboys would enjoy. Um, I call this the, the <laughs> amateur straight boy version of this because that's who's really, really, really loving it. Um, imagine you baked a cake. 
and you still trying to put sugar and flour in this cake. That's what I think Justice Lick is going to be. You trying to put more sugar in the cake that's already baked. I don't really, I understand why this is even a thing. Um, I guess I want to watch it, but that's four fucking hours. You would have thought that this was like, uh, gone with the wind, gone with the wind, or you know those big, um, like or like Cleopatra, or the Ten Commandments. Like it wasn't. I don't understand why that length had to be that long. They, I think it could have been better if they split it up in like hours, like. Here's a limited series run of something of this Justice League cut, but you know that wouldn't make would be like too much sense. I yeah <laughs> I, yeah, and I'm like, why is the Joker? I, I think I tweeted that. Why is the Joker in it? If the movie is about Steppenwolf, <laughs> you know, trying to to get the mother boxes, why are we putting Joker in it? Like, why? It's like they just yeah. trying to put in so many things so many ingredients where it's going to make the chicken salty don't we don't need to do all that just you know just keep the thing and that's why i think you know his editing process is is fascinating a mess. it is a fucking because mess. it's like these are things that you know it's funny i think about when i when i wrote my graphic novel and i sent it to my editor it's like what you do in the first draft that's what this movie feels like this is the first draft and he wanted all that stuff back out. Like, there was a reason why they cut it out. <laughs> it just seems like he put everything that was on the cutting floor back into the movie. And I'm like, okay, girl, well, the reason why cutting floors and that process of editing exists is not to have this long-ass movie released. So I, I hope that this is, like, it for whatever the cinematic universe of DC is because they need like the hardest of resets. They do like maybe it. they can keep Wonder Woman, maybe they can keep soups. Uh but I don't I really don't know what they're they're gonna do. I, I no one does. And I, I think that that's why they need to do a hard reboot. Um just you know, Ava's in there now. Maybe, maybe hopefully she's been like, you know what, you know, let's 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 have a conversation because I feel like it's time to really do something about that. Just looking at this trailer and I feel like they're just editing in so many things that don't really need to be in it. Um, who knows? But you know what? Some people are gonna be excited about it. Of course, we're gonna watch it. Not <laughs> talk about on, it. Not on the eighteenth, whenever whatever is released, but. Um, yeah, I don't know about that, but I just know that it's going to be, again, as I as I said before, it's the story is still the story, and that right. just didn't come together. I do know that they added more of the of the harsh, brutal killing of the Amazons, which I had a problem with. That I felt like okay, now we're, you know, now we're hyping up the you know the killing of these women. Yes, they're Amazons. I get it, but at the same time. Why are we yeah. hyping that up? Like, why are we hyping that part up? That, that again, that was not a pivotal part of the movie. That was not a pivotal part of the movie. They were just trying to protect the mother bodies. And out of all of the enemies in the DC universe, 
I didn't know Step Stephen Wolf was like that. He's not. Like I was like, oh, they made him bigger than what he was supposed to be, and right. I'm like, okay, okay, bro. It's, it's like they took. It's like if the <laughs> MCU took Toad and right. and, and just hyped up Toad to be a hell of a lot more, or they took like I'm hell. They they took even like. Uh, Mysterio, or like even though they use Mysterio, um, they kept him in his range. They kept him in his lane. They didn't try to make him any 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 bigger where he's gonna get everything. Like he is a great villain, but at the end of the day, what they right. did with Stephen Wolf was just ridiculous. And then they do have Dark Side in it, and they have Granny Goodness, which you can barely see her face, but you can see the CGI. So you have all that in there. And again, you have to remember what this movie is about. That's why everybody's like, getting so hyped about these added scenes. And I'm like, again, y'all, they're trying to get the mother box. How much more scenes do you need when it's just this? Uh-huh. So, you know, if you if you watch the original Avenger movie, um, all that came together because they knew how to tell the stories to bring them together versus this. So, and then, you know, they got... Superman in the black costume, which I really don't even get what's the big thrill about. I was like, okay, like he went to Hot Topic and said, oh, can I have this in black? (laughs) He came back. Yes, he's back. But we didn't miss him. You know what I mean? Like, because because of what? uh, Batman versus Superman was already another bully base of mess. So you already had stuff piled on from that and then this so it's like you're just giving us a garbage dump which that is i guess that's what you want to do but you know what it'll be one of those movies you just have on the background when you you know drying your hair or cleaning the house it's just gonna be on or waiting for your dick appointment it's gonna be on the back <laughs> i'd rather have paid programming on <laughs> so yeah this movie it is what it is um Kind of talking about this movie, you know, everybody know Joss Whedon worked on it. He had to basically take what was given and do what he can, but he was in the hot seat this week when you know cast members came out about his abusive behavior. It started with, now originally it did started with Ray Fisher who is cyborg in Justice League and he brought that out, how he was abusive and kind of dismissive uh, during that set. But Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordelia in Buffy, really came out and talked about all the things. She gave credit to um, Ray, so she wasn't trying to, she wasn't being a white woman about it. She was like, let me tell you my story, but also really tell y'all that what Ray was saying is something that I experienced. Um, Along with her, um, Amber Benson, who played Tara, Michelle, and I cannot say her name, uh, last name, but she played Dawn, came out. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller um, also put out a statement. Um, and then some of the others, um, um, uh, Anthony Stewart Head came out with something. Um, Spike, James Marsons came out with stuff as well. Um, so basically they was telling everybody that he was very abusive uh, as, a, as a director, as a showrunner. The things that he was doing for the show, he was very, uh, abusive in ways. And I think Michelle even mentioned that, you know, she was told not to be around him, be alone around him. And she was 15 at the time that she was on the show. Yeah, this, these allegations 
it's funny that Ray was talking about him and nobody told him, everybody told him like, oh, be grateful that you're in this kind of position or, you know, just shut up and take it, nigga, basically. And now that all of these white women are coming forward, I'm not negating what happened to them at all. I'm just saying it's peculiar that one person says about these, they were affected by this person negatively and nobody has their back, has his back. But now all these white women, all of a sudden, oh, we got to believe them now. Like had these women been black, I mean, it would have been like, oh, you have to give us a 3.5 paragraph in which he did this and that and third. So it's, I'm not surprised because there's a lot of people in Hollywood like him and he's just one of thousands. Yeah, it is very interesting. And yeah, it's, I do feel bad for Ray because I, you know, a lot of people did not, a lot of people didn't take that seriously and not until um, Charisma and the rest of them start coming through. Um, but one thing that was very interesting and, you know, and you know how people get all hyped up on Twitter. I just think that um, let's not go after every project that he worked on because not every project, not all the actors on every project he's worked on had the same experience. So what happened if he worked on the Avengers? Yes, he did. But that was under a whole different situation. I'm sure he would be able to get away with none of that in that, you know, working with them. And those are very seasoned actors and what have you. So I don't think the same, I don't think he did the same things and certain things, but yeah, do hold him accountable for all the stuff that he's done. Um, and, you know, it's just really ridiculous of how he acted. And I know his ex-wife really, already wrote an article about how he was. Um, so if y'all want to check that out, you should do that too. It wasn't that, that was some years ago. It was, yeah. I won't say it was like 10 years ago, but it was rather recently that yeah, she wrote that article. Like five years ago, around that time. Yeah. Three and five years ago. Um, so yeah, you know, what, because um, I, I, I just saw some people talk about like, what does Chris Evans have to say? I'm like, well, I don't think he would have got away with that <laughs> working with them. Like, you know, I, I right. think that's a different thing. Um, but yeah, she just kind of broke down that he was a fake feminist and all that great stuff. So it's something to really check out. Um, you know, for those who went through that, we, you know, that is really unfortunate and we're really sorry about that. But I'm glad that they came out and mentioned that. And, you know, he hasn't said anything. He should not say anything. And if he does, he needs to say, I'm sorry. Yes, I did that. Um, but yeah, that's just been very interesting to see how that, the, the fallout of this week have, has been over that. And now there's a lot of people talking about, can we still be fans of the show? Um, and I, I think you can still be fans of the story. You can still be fans of the characters. Um, you know, as Sarah Michelle Gellar said, like, you know, she's always going to be thankful for the role of Buffy, but she doesn't want to be associated with Joss Whedon. I think we can look at it in that sense that, you know, you can always enjoy the story of Buffy, um, but you don't have to like enjoy him. You don't have uh -huh. to. Because there was other people who put those stories together. It wasn't just him. Right. So, you know, the other writers and people who were involved, they've done a lot of great things. So you can all, you can still enjoy the show. Um, you just don't have to enjoy Josh Wheaton. That's my opinion. Right. I, I agree with that.
All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into WandaVision because five and six have been out since we last talked to y'all. And hmm. <laughs> a lot. I have more questions than I have answers. Well, let's get into the questions. What questions do you have? Oh, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and why hadn't she killed that white man yet? I want him dead so damn bad. Oh, oh what's his name? He's kind of cute. But uh, he can die. He can die. <laughs> she should have shot his ass up when uh, she had the guns turned on him. Yeah, that was OK. So that episode five was a lot because we realized what was we learned a lot about what's happening inside um what wanda is able to do um but we also realized that you know she she said a lot of things that 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 was very interesting like she talked about like she doesn't know how all this stuff started um she's not doing all of this um, so then again, us just, you know, getting the theories out there that somebody is controlling her or manipulating her. Um, that end scene between her and Vision was just, that, that was a good scene because they were really arguing. Like you, you felt that. And poor mm -hmm. Vision, I was like, this man is trapped. He was just, he's like, the way Wanda told him when he's like, you can't control me like the others. And she's like, can't I? And I was like, did that hit that head tilt? I was like, oh, okay, she, uh, she's about this business. And uh, I want to say, yeah, it's, she's being controlled. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's not as, um, I, I guess, aggressive as the controlling is. Maybe it's, she does have some kind of say in, the controlling, if that makes sense, you know, like I said in the beginning before this, I guess the first couple of episodes that maybe this is her way of protecting herself mm -hmm. from what the, the events of Endgame and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I, I think that I also think that this is her heart's desire. So I think what's happening is she's getting her heart's desire. She's trying to keep it. Um, <sighs> But I think she's also realizing that there's a cost. It's the whole monkey paw um, motif to this. That it's like you get what you ask for at a price. Um, that goes especially with the uh, in uh, episode six commercial. Um, somebody, uh, I think it was Hood Opulence on Twitter. He made a really good point about that commercial in the '90s. How the guy, the kid, was hungry, and the shark gave him yogurt. But the shark didn't give him how to open the yogurt and he died. So I'm going to give you what you want, but you didn't ask specifically what you wanted. So I only gave what you said. And that goes especially to um, Mephesto and that whole saying that I'm, I'm going to give you exactly what you said, but you didn't say it how you needed it. So, I mean... I thought that first of all, that commercial was very nineties. Yeah, uh, it, it, <laughs> it was so fucking nineties. Yeah, I mean, maybe they go with those that of the like the gum, like the 
big rolly gum, like that big wad of gum. That you oh, yeah, the uh, the one that came in the pink uh, package. Yeah, you know. a lot of that. But yeah, it makes me, but it made me really think about the demons and the demons in the DC. I mean, whoops. And uh, well. <laughs> because, yeah, you have Mephisto, but you also have, you also have Nightmare, who does this type of stuff, plays with your, your feelings and emotions to get what they want. And as we mentioned before, you know, there are other beings out there like Dormammu and all, they're trying to get in. To get in, they need to really kind of play around with someone who has the ability to do it, that vessel to kind of open those doors. So a part of me is wondering, is this um, Nightmare really playing a role in this? Um, if you don't know about Nightmare, look him up. He's a very um, powerful being in the Marvel Universe. And also his daughter, Dream Queen, does stuff like this too. So if you want to keep looking into possibilities of who these demons could be, it also could be despair. That was brought up by um, DJ um, Benamine about that. Like you look into a lot of these different demons who have done things like this in the past uh, when it comes to the Marvel world. But um, and also that was very interesting when we we get we got um, you know Pietro. We had a different Pietro. We had the one from the Fox universe of X Men pop in there. Which is, to me, I thought that was an ode to how, you know, you think of Bewitch, how they switched, we had, we had new Darrens. We had one uh -huh. Darren, we had another. Um, they almost kind of look alike, but they didn't look alike. Um, and, or how, you know, you think about Aunt Viv, <laughs> we had a different Aunt Viv, um, but they both were recognized as Aunt Viv. So yeah, this was interesting to have this version pop up, um, which opens the door to like, how does she do that? Or whoever, how do they do this? Is this a multi-universe thing? Is this just something to play with your head? Because we all know what that is. So that, I thought that was a very interesting thing um, to see him just pop up. And I'm like, oh, 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 okay. Because uh -huh. I, I knew Pedro was coming. I didn't know it was him. I didn't know it would be that version. I was thinking they don't pull out, you know, sexy ass Aaron, to play Pietro again. Uh -huh. um, I like seeing a mutant in there. Um, it's odd to see Evan Peters not in an American Horror Story aspect. Um, he's, I mean, he's okay with Quicksilver. I, I don't have any complaints. I, there's something, I don't know... If it's his delivery or it's just him as an actor or how he's playing Pietro, that uh, it doesn't do it for me. Or maybe it's just, I don't know. It's just something about it. And I'm like, it, it doesn't give me the all of the satisfaction that I thought I was going to give. I think it's given us for what it is for what it is at that moment. You know, he, they give him the 90s type of version of what he would be, um, kind of the, you know, the Malcolm in the Middle version. <laughs> That's why I'm looking at it that way. Um, but yeah, it was like, it's very fascinating to see, but then how he would talk to her, like he's like, he's like I know what you're doing. You know, I'm calling right. you that. And he was doing that throughout the show. Um, and then with the kids, with Billy, um, I only know Billy because he's the gay one, but in the other one, um, 
it's really interesting to see how they were growing up, but I love that they put them in the costumes, what they would look like in the future. Um, to see um, Billy in his Wiccan costume was like, oh, that's, that's what he wears um, when he's really doing things in the comics. So it's really interesting, but I like that they, they oh, he's not like a, a warlock. He's more like, you know, telepathic and um, telekinetic in this one. But it was very interesting to see how he was able to feel vision. And I liked the way he did that. And how Wanda was like, I need for you to focus. Where she lost that sing-songy mom thing and went into that mode of being Wanda. Um, but what I think we also learned is Agnes may not be anybody. She may right. be just somebody in the town because when Vision um, kind of mind warped her, and he did that in the previous episode um, where he was like learning what was going on. We learned in the previous episode that um, they would say they're being controlled by she. She is controlling us. She is doing all this to us. We don't know who she is. It could be obvious to say, yeah, it's Wanda. But it could be someone else. I don't think Wanda is strong enough for that, to control all of those people to can have this barrier around this town to make it grow bigger at the end of episode six. I don't think she... She has to have some somebody manipulating her powers to do that personally. I don't think she's strong enough for that. Yeah. And so, yeah, to see that, because in the previous episode, she when she comes out <laughs> of her, her fantasy world, she was no joke. She came out there, she gave her warning, she gave you that turn and spin. That is the new, you know, turn and snap or bend and snap. And, well, it wasn't a bend into it, but it was a new way of basically saying, don't, don't fuck with me, fellas. Basically, she was like, this is your, this is your only warning. Um, and then when she just kind of let go and, and you know, took over, she, you saw how, the, how, how it works, like how it changes decades or it changes people. You know, now it's going like the circus type of things. I don't know what this is going to be next week, but it was like how she really changed and expanded to save vision but it also, you saw how it is a dangerous effect because as we were warned, Darcy mentioned that this was contained for now. Now it's getting bigger and bigger. And I think who was, what, who's ever behind this is trying to break down the walls of reality. So therefore these other things can come through. Um, so this was very kind of scary, you know, just kind, right. of, um, kind of see what was going on here um, because you realize that this is really strong, but I also like that we got to see more of Monica and Jimmy um, kind of take more control. We got to see them more in a control thing when they start kicking ass and right. going on. I think like to go to add on to what I just said about her being controlled, you notice how her powers are more situated towards like the, the, the center of town. And once you get further away, her powers are not so heavy or the people are kind of just in some kind of stasis mm -hmm. that I, I just had that revelation like maybe it, it has to be somebody else feeding her this power yeah yeah it, something is happening and, it, and I'm glad you brought that up because when they did when vision went outside of it it was like there are they're like the robots that are not working well you know it's like put them right high um, and it was kind of creepy to see that the woman who was, you can tell she's crying, like, you know, she's like, I, 
I can't get out of this. But she mm-hmm. closed on the thing. Um, and so it's really interesting to see what that is, to see how Agnes was acting. But the fact that Agnes kind of mentioned that if I'm, you know, what you what you mentioned before is like, you know, if I'm not dead, you are, you know, like you're dead. Um, how mm-hmm. she went on about that. So I am convinced because we haven't seen this person. I do think Dottie is this person. I mean, remember she's still the queen of what happens around here. Um, we haven't seen her in the past two episodes. Um, that is true. And I and and we know she's in a couple of more. So I do think that Baby Dottie is somebody we need to pay attention to. Um, we do know that when when um, Emma Clarfield was cast, she had to meet with Kevin um, separately, and so that's why I think that there's something about her. Um, if you don't know who Emma is, if you watch Buffy, she was Anya, who she played a demon. She played a three thousand year old demon in that movie. Uh, I mean, in that TV series. But yeah, it's going to be something when we find out who is really behind this. Um, we do know this leads into the next phase as well as the next Doctor Strange movie. I'm telling y'all, watch Doctor Strange so it can help you understand this whole multiverse type of thing and what's out there. But do watch that again. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next week. Um, yeah, I next wonder, week we're getting longer episodes too. Yeah, we're getting our episodes. I wonder if Sword is something else too, because Sword is not what uh, Maria left when she passed. So we need to know more about that. But also, we got another clue about what happens when you go through that field and what we learned from Darcy is Monica's body like chemistry is off completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so this may be how we get into Photon um, or this is how we may learn about how mutants are made. So this is, this is it's just so many things are dropping and it's got three episodes left. <laughs> Did you notice in episode five how they were talking about uh, Captain Marvel and how Monica, she had some kind of, she had a look on her face as if there was a, mem- a painful memory attached to that. Mm-hmm. As if her and Captain Marvel either had like a falling out or something happened. And then we had the news, um, I don't know if you saw it, that uh, somebody had got cast as a villain in Captain Marvel here recently. I forgot the actress's name. But people are thinking that it's either, I think, Moonstone, Rogue, or Mystique. Those are the three people that I've heard rumors Mm. about. Uh, I think either Monica and Captain Marvel had some kind of falling out, or Captain Marvel got depowered. Maybe. And Maybe. I could be completely well, wrong. Remember that Captain Marvel's been gone. So yeah, whatever been gone for a minute. Whatever happened, happened out in space. Right. Because she didn't come back until um, Thanos came through. So she didn't come back. She's been gone all that time. Because I remember they was like, where have you been? And she was like, there's other things out in the world, you know, out besides this world that is in trouble. I wonder if something happened because Monica, we know that Monica's already been in space. 
before all this. Mm-hmm. So what if some? So I think something did happen in space somewhere that we just don't know. And this second movie may get into that. Who knows? But it's just a lot because it was when Monica was a kid up to where she's older. Stuff happened to where Sword was created. Um, her mom took over, and she went up in, into space. So I feel like something's happened between that time um, that happened in the space world that we don't know. Hell, I would be shocked if they said, said that, you know, well, Captain Marvel and her mom were together and broke up. Right. And maybe that might be something, you know, who knows? If they did that, I would be impressed, but. Well, I, I know um, they had the Kree in the, uh, the scrolls. So uh, I don't know what what could happen. What did happen out in space um, to Captain Marvel? It will be interesting to see how that that comes into play mm-hmm. with this. I do know that. Um, let me see. Go back to this. I'm going to get this woman's name wrong, but her name is Zawe Ashton. Yeah. Uh, she was in Velvet Buzzsaw. She's been she was set as a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exact character is unknown, but she will be the main villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. There's also uh, the story editor of WandaVision, uh, Megan uh, McDonald, is doing a script for Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that you know, WandaVision and Captain Marvel, there's some sort of linkage. Yeah. I don't know. Now we have to figure out who she's going to be. Um, Moonstone is a good thing because that that is a villain um, who's been in that world. Um, but I, now I'm going to go through, look, look through a lot of her villains. Her biggest villain was Mystique. Mystique messed her up, um, Carol Danvers, in a lot of different ways. Um, before Rogue, um, one and I in a past episode when I talked about Captain Marvel, um, when she was Miss Marvel, um, basically what she did, what Mystique did, was um, turn herself into Carol and killed her boyfriend, like killed him, beat him to death, mm-hmm. um, and you know that was a moment where you know Carol Danvers had to deal with the fact that her boyfriend died watching. Carol kill him. So that was something that she went after Mystique after that. And then that's what led into the whole issue of, of uh, Rogue and all that greatness. So it'll be interesting to see if they brought in Mystique this way, that could be fun. Um, and Somebody pretty- mentioned um, it could be Deathbird. And Deathbird is an outcast member of the Shi'ar. Mm-hmm. And the Shi'ar is always having a battle with the Kree. Mm-hmm. And the Kree versus the you know, it's <laughs> it's a lot that could be introduced with this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, as we got three more episodes to go, um, so much speculation, so much speculation. <laughs> but that's the fun part of it. That is the fun part of all this. And we finally got our first gay superhero in Marvel Universe, and that is Wiccan, <laughs> the little the mm-hmm. it version. But we know he grows up to be. Um, gay. So there you go. There we got we got our first one that we saw. Right there. <laughs> now you realize that the, the 
I don't honestly, personally, I don't think the kids are real. But mm. but those are the first kids that are quote unquote born with their powers. You know, they didn't like get touched by a radioactive spider or you know whatever. Those are actual mutants in our eyes. So you know, it, we keep saying I don't know, I don't know. It, truly, they could go so many different ways with how they're telling the story and apparently there was like a um dormammu uh balloon somewhere in this uh the last episode uh in the city the town square i didn't realize it until somebody said it online so i'm gonna have to watch it again and that goes back to saying i I don't think he really ever died he was just trapped wasn't he yeah yeah in a place upon like this riff that is going to be happening in these multiverses. Yeah. Wow. So y'all get ready because it is going to be something else. <laughs> I just wonder how they're going to, if they're going to play up on this different multiverses and whatnot, how are they going to keep them straight or how, what's the, what's the end result or how do they fix it? I don't know. See, in the comics, they they recognize there's other worlds, but they don't do it the way DC does. And DC, in the, they have blended them. At one point, they have blended all the, the worlds into one. Um, Marvel will be interesting because they they will visit them, but they don't try to blend them. But but there there's a small part of me, and they I don't know why I'm thinking this. What if this is all Mojo? This is type of stuff that Mojo does when he creates his TV shows. Um, Somebody said that, and I don't, I, I don't see it as being Mojo. It wouldn't be Mojo to a degree. He does have he, when he does get like when he's always had the X Men. He controlled them, and they usually break free. Um, but this is not too foreign for him and Spiral to like do things because Spiral could she. Is that type of person who can she weaves the spells to keep them under control and do all that stuff? But I don't know. That was I've been thinking about that recently. I was like, they wouldn't introduce Mojo, right? That would be a as much as I would love them to get away from the regular X Men villains that they always do. I think maybe Mojo would be too out there, and then we would have to have some kind of clues. If it was Mojo and Spiral, if it was supposed to be this kind of entertainment type thing, I, I don't know if we actually got some hints of it. Yeah. Yet. True. Well, I see. I'm gonna have to watch the rest of the the shows again. <laughs> I know. So, you have anything else about Maze T that we need to talk about? Um. I don't think so. We could talk about a homegirl that fucked up a Disney bag, but you know, why give her the satisfaction? You know, she messed it up. Being a big doesn't doesn't help always. So, someone else is gonna get that bag. You lost. <laughs> you lost. But you know what? That's 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 good. That's good that she lost all that goodness and uh-huh. you know, somebody else is money and Pedro still is fine. So that that's all that really matters, really. Um. Now she's doing uh, Ben Shapiro podcast. I'm like, yikes. 
that's a that's a hard fallout. That is a swift and sudden fall from grace. Yeah, it really is. But you know what, y'all? That's that's I guess that's all for our tea. But what we do have for y'all, you will be very happy. Um, because we are talking about our favorite characters with some very, very special people. So get ready for the next part of Megasheen. All right, everybody, we are back um, and we are so excited because we have a real treat for y'all today. We have two special guests that have given us a lot um, and y'all will soon see what we're talking about um, because today we have acclaimed author Elle McKinney as well as acclaimed artist Robin Smith with us today. And if y'all don't know who they are, you will because we're discussing Nubia, real one graphic novel from DC Comics, which, oh my God, it is so great. So I am so happy that y'all are here with us today. Woo! <laughs> Thanks Hi. for having us. Um, but before we get started, I just want to say that I thank y'all so much for what y'all did because I am a huge Nubia fan way back from the gate uh, when I accidentally stumbled on her in a Super Friends comic. And I was like, who is this? And I've never heard of this person. And this was back when you couldn't really get on the internet at all. And so um, just to see this character is so fleshed out and given agency, given a personality, given the origin that she deserves. I, I just thank y'all for doing that. I really do. I really do. Yeah, I've been a huge NBA fan for years. I've been screaming about her coming back in print in some way. And I never imagined I would get the chance to be part of that. <laughs> so it, it's it's been a while, right? It really has. I'm so glad that you, that you did get this chance to do it because I love this book so much. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just go ahead and jump into uh, the questions that we have today. Um, uh, and these are, you know, both for you and, you know, jump in whenever you uh, are ready. Uh, so to both of you all, were you always interested in writing comics and being familiar with comics? Um, I have always, like, for I've, I've been into comics for a long time. Um, of course, I got more into them when I was able to spend my own money on them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have loved comics since I was a little girl. Similar to books, it wasn't until a certain point where it came together in my mind, like, oh, people somewhere have to be responsible for the words and the pictures. I like words. Maybe I can do that. So mm -hmm. it didn't really occur that it was something that I wanted to do actively until I had started writing with the goal of being published. Because you would think, you know, oh, clearly somebody made this. Wouldn't you want to be part of no, that? It took a minute. <laughs> for me to connect those dots. <laughs> Same, honestly. <laughs> um, I My introduction to comics was like old Archie comics. And I, those are the ones that kind of stuck with me, especially because um, I grew up in Jamaica and those are the only ones that I could find at like the supermarket. So 
you know, that was, that's my main influence, but it never occurred to me again that this is someone's job to put this thing together. Um, so even after a while, I studied more the theory of comics and like the history of it a little bit. And then I was like, wait, I want to make these. And it's sort of like, you know, it came into place a few years later and I went to school for it. And now I'm drawing Nubia. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. have to say like how you drew Nubia, like the fullness of the hair, like, and especially on Black History Month, like <laughs> I can't like, I've had a lot of black women, especially my mom and my sisters, like influence me. And this, a lot of it, it felt like I was reading stories or especially from their perspective. And I can only identify or realize so much from, from my perspective, what they're going through. But seeing it like that is, I don't know if I have the words to describe how that affected me. It, it, it's just so cool to see that. It, yeah, it, it's just so cool to see that. <laughs> well, hair is actually like one of my favorite things to draw. Um, so mm -hmm. I mean, and uh, black women are my favorite like to draw as well. Like all my comics have only really ever revolved around black women. So perfecting their hair and making sure it's represented well in books is maybe 50% of where my attention goes when I'm drawing comics, especially Nubia since her hair took up so much of the space, like so much time was spent just making sure her hair looked good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now, speaking of Nubia and you and you kind of spoke to her a little bit earlier, how familiar you were, were y'all about Nubia and about her origin and everything about her? How familiar you were? Were you about her? Go ahead, Robin. Um, <laughs> so I actually was not familiar with Nubia. Again, like I said, I studied more of the theory of comics and the history. So when it like came to, oh, Black people in superhero comics, they were like, oh, yes, Nubia, here she is. She's Wonder Woman's twin sister. And I remember hearing those words and I was like, what we're talking about black people in comics how she wanted a woman's twin sister i don't understand what we're talking about and then of course the professor was like oh it's her black twin sister and again my head was like trying to rack like go through all these like oh, what does that even mean um and that was kind of my introduction to nubia and it so it definitely wasn't around the time that like her comics her origin story came out because i wasn't born yet but i mean then from there, I did more research when I was actually like trying out for the job. Uh, apart from that, like I wasn't super familiar with her just besides like she's Wonder Woman's black twin sister. For me, I had known about Nubia um, beforehand. Like I said, I was a little girl when I first saw Nubia, it was at library. It had the little silver spinny thing where they have comics mm -hmm. and maps and things. Um, and I saw it was the comic where she's chained to Diana and they both got swords. And yeah. so it wasn't the first comic with Nubia, but I remember seeing, I was like, who is this black woman 
<laughs> fighting with Wonder Woman. I need to know her. Like that's how that started with Nubia. And again, you know, it was I you read the comic and it wasn't the beginning, so I kind of had some of the same questions. I'm like how uh okay, cool. Whatever. I'm going to just go with it cuz mm-hmm. this was again before you could really look stuff up on the internet, right? Yeah. So when I was able to look stuff up on the internet, I was very pleasantly surprised <laughs> to find, you know, because you ask for the, the comic and they're like, oh, well, it's currently checked out and you can check and see if it comes in again. Like you kind of had to gamble with it, whether or not it might be there the next time you came in. So I, I have known about Nubia for a long time and I was really adamant like yelling on twitter and on facebook whenever something would happen and like y'all forgot about nubia again (laughs) this will not stand such atrocities um but yeah so i knew about her and when they asked me to write a comic about her i say less like it 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 almost came out immediately like in that email but i had to go back and do the professional channels and you know to accept the offer and such but yeah it was it was great yeah and and that was interesting because I think I read somewhere that you didn't really set out to pitch about Nubia and then it just kind of came on out there yeah I had actually set out to pitch Young Justice because that's what I was invited to pitch I had tweeted randomly I think it was when we were talking about you know before the third season happened and I'm um you know just talking on the timeline I want to write Young Justice and so somebody who I guess had read my first book uh from DC was like let's talk so they told me their pitching process and I pitched Young Justice and me thinking I'm you know gonna be sly a little bit I made Nubia a side character in my pitch like she was in the original Young Justice pitch it's like this is how I'm going to get her back in there and then when she's there they can do whatever they want but at least she'll be there for a little bit like we'll get some pages right Mm -hmm. so um I pitch it and you know it's Young Justice and they the gang ends up going to protests and stuff like that um because of what I wanted to tell the story and why I wanted to tell the story. And I got response from the pitch. They were like, this is great. This is fabulous. This is everything we wanted. Could you give us a pitch that's just Nubia? Mm. Yes, I will give you a pitch that's just Nubia. <laughs> Again, say less. Um, so that's how it started is I, it started as a Young Justice pitch, which I would love to revisit someday. It was a great time, um, but yeah, I'll focus all the way on Nubia. This book can be completely about Nubia. Are you kidding? <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that just all worked out the way it did. <laughs> I'm really glad for that. Right. Uh, so talk about the significance of writing about DC's first Black female character and how much it means to you and to black female geeks out there? I mean, I'm gonna try and have the words for it. it it's something that you, I can't really quantify. Um, it's literally like being able to touch history and influence it. It's, it's so much more than here's a character you know, 
write a story about this character, which I've done, you know, with other IP work. This was, it's, you know, it's the first, not only is she like the first DC, it's like, here's the, you know, the first, the two big, well, you know, they weren't the two big at the time, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the, what then became the two big. So it's, it was really humbling um, to be asked to be part of that and to be able to bring other black women on board, like mm-hmm. for DC to understand, you know, my team to understand the importance of that. Um, just because of the, the history of how black people have been represented in American art in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wanted someone who would understand, who would take care of her, take care of the people around her on the page, be sensitive to certain scenes on the page, um, understand the weight of those scenes on the page. So I knew when I, that's how mu- that's how important it was, is that I knew that this was gonna be my land, line in the sand. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna be a black woman team doing the story and the art. It just, it has to be, there's no way, I won't be involved if it's not. Um, right. Cause again, these are, somebody else's characters so you can't make them do anything but you can you know say okay this this for my involvement this has to be part of it and they were very open and receptive to that so I think there was an understanding even there that this is important and you need to to just sort of get out of the way of that level of importance sometimes. Sometimes it's your job to just cut the check. Like that's literally <laughs> what it is. Um, so I, it it was humbling and I'll never forget it. And I think that speaks to DC's credit. Like, and a lot of people, especially people of, as far as uh, in the majority, white people, want to be allies they want to you know oh how can we get involved well just give us the money and we can do the rest like that's all you have to do. you can be a silent backer and let us write the stories tell the tales all of it and you will be better in the end you might not see it but you will be better in the end as well as us and i think a lot of people need to a lot of white people need to understand that allyship is more than just, you know, saying, oh, I'm with you. You know, you have to put your money where your mouth is in terms of money, you know, support and all of that stuff. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting um, having this relationship with the editor, Sarah, who is a white woman. Um, But very often her position was there to help with overall craft issues like pacing um, and direction when it came to, you know, um, certain things that they were trying to do across the entire line, which I can't see. And then also I've never written comics before. I don't draw. So there are things that I don't realize. And Sarah is the expert in that lane. 
but she deferred to my expertise in being a black woman trying to tell a story when it came to the story side. I deferred to her when it came to, okay, well, we have to cut pages here because we need to straighten this out. You decide what in the story can be clipped or what I will make suggestions, but in the end you decide what we take out. So it, the story that you're trying to tell isn't impacted. So mm -hmm. she was very supportive. Um, she was very open when I had to explain why, no, I'm not taking this out or yeah, I'm going to push back on that. And I explained something and she would really be like, thank you for explaining that to me. You didn't have to. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't consider that. Continue, please. Like there was, this was one of the least, and it's not confrontation, but it was one of the least like tug of war type things that you can get into with an editor, especially when it's IP, like it's not yours. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, I sometimes look back on it. And I'm like, that went so smoothly. I'm almost waiting for the other shoe to drop, even though it's already over. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Same. I am. I feel the same way, actually, about like even when it came down to like the character design and everything, I was waiting for that kind of pushback, especially because I knew like I knew all the characters were black. I was like, yeah, this is great. Obviously, like a book full of black people is all I want to be drawing. Um, but even like I'm like, how black can I make all these people? Like how black are they going to dress? How black are their haircuts? Like how, you know, but of course, getting the script and like, again, Sarah being extremely supportive, the editor and like it just I was I was very pleasantly surprised as well I was like I would just send in pages and all, most of all the feedback would be like how about you put less work into making these two panels and just make it one and I'd be like great love that cool um, and I noticed that as I was looking through the book and then looking at the art and how everything was just it just kind of come together really well and everything else and I and again Robin I love your art <laughs> I love your art because it just felt, it felt comfortable. It felt great. It felt black. It felt, it just felt real. Yeah. I really, really appreciated that. I just wanted to put that out there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, now, I, I'm very, and I kind of have an idea, I would like to hear from y'all. Um, what were some of the issues and themes that inspired y'all to tell me the story? So this story in particular came when, cause I started on the pro side, right? I started writing science fiction and fantasy, uh, black kids going on adventures, you mm. know, um, slaying monsters, that side of things. Cause you know, we black people are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel that as important as quote unquote issue stories are you need two to three spoons of spoonfuls of sugar for every dose of reality you get especially when it's that you're from the community that's experiencing that it can be traumatizing to go into that over and over and over again especially for kids so i was at a um school visit just a group of kids mostly black and brown and we're just talking you know we're talking about what they like video games comics uh movies and we start talking about comics and heroes and one of the kids sparks a discussion by talking about how these heroes are out here saving the day and in none of this in none of the stories none of the movies none of the shows 
it doesn't seem like they know about or care about what's happening to the black community. They, nothing ever touches on it. They don't speak about it. They don't acknowledge it. No one understands it seems. And mm -hmm. I had to sit there for a second and be like, you are absolutely right. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, and you could tell that this is something that's been on their minds and other kids started chiming in and they just talked amongst themselves and I just sat and listened. You know, sometimes as adults, we just have to sit and listen and let them talk because yep. this is their community too. And they are experiencing these things along with us. Plus stuff that frankly, I didn't have to deal with. We didn't have school shooting drills when I was in school. And that was 20, right. less than 20 years ago. So it's changed yeah. that quick, you know? So I got the opportunity to write a hero story. And I'm thinking about these kids who've never, you know, they, they don't see a hero who understands what they're going through, is impacted by it, um, even acknowledges it in any degree, except for like here or there, maybe, you know, you might have something and it's usually from another black uh, writer, they'll hit it here or there. But with um, this story, I got a lot of grace and a lot of space to be able to make it the focus of the book, right? And not necessarily the focus of the story, but it impacts Nubia's life in a way that can't be written off the way that people like to try and write this stuff off. So I was like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get a chance to write a story about a hero or for a hero again. I wanna be true to things that are happening, but I also wanna write about, you know, this girl, she goes to parties and she has friends and loving parents, you know, cause it's, it's never all about the pain. It's never all about the pain. And so I, that's where it came from, was from these kids who were like, we, yeah, these heroes are cool, but it's, I can't, like, they don't seem to even be connected to the same earth sometimes. Cause it's like, if you are, how can you ignore what's happening? Yeah. So that's, that's where this story with Nubia came from. Um, and it was, it was difficult at times you know, putting that on the page. And that's nothing compared to experiencing it. And these are some of my experiences. These are experiences of people that I know and love. And I wanted to, for there at least to be one book with a hero somewhere who not only acknowledges, but understands it and it's authentic. Like this is, this, this is your hero your circumstances reflected in this here. This, this one's for you is essentially why I wrote it for that age category. And for those kids, it, it, that stuck with me for long enough that when I got the opportunity, that was the first story that came to mind, even with the Young Justice. Cause Nubia, I inserted her, they, the team, something happens. And you know, the black members of the team are explaining to the white members like, yeah, we fight crime, but you can't punch this out. This isn't a thing that you can round up and take to jail. Mm -hmm. And they ended up going to a protest in the pitch and all sorts of stuff. And I think that's kind of what the team honed in on when they read it was this story with Nubia, because it kind of did follow her. It was my intention. I was trying to be slick. But, <laughs> but all this came together. And I was like, I, I don't know when I'll get a chance to give exactly what these kids were looking for. So I'm, I'm gonna do it. And I did it. And like, 
I don't even know. I'm trying to find the words here. Like it's so you don't see, you know, a Batman or Clark Kent, you know, going down to the NAACP and donating or like it it's so mind boggling that we haven't or at least I haven't associated, you know, black superheroes dealing with real black issues, you know, like going to a, a gas station and getting it uh, held up and then somebody misidentifying you as the robber. You know, we, I haven't even, that hadn't even crossed my mind. I'm worried about the dark side or, you know, atrocities or somebody else, you know, coming to earth and starting shit, not the, the clan member down the street thinking that, you know, Antifa is a, a terrorist group. Yeah. And that's why I said these kids are, it, it hadn't crossed my mind either, you know? And then I was like, you're right. Cause we, we've reached a point in comics where we have these fantastical stories about these people who are doing these great things, but we've also reached a point where we have humanized them incredibly, you know, to make them sympathetic, to make people latch onto aspects of their stories so that the stories that's one of the reasons why, you know, these characters can come back decade after decade after decade is a new generation finds a reason to get attached to them. And it's great and all, but up, up and away, I can fly is it only carries, you know, that childhood amazement of it for so long. After a while, you get to a point where it's like, yeah, that's still cool. Like, I'm a love me some good you know, old fashioned smackdown when it comes to two <laughs> superheroes for the rest of forever. But to see these heroes that I grew up with acknowledge my pain on a level, because they've done it, you know, with other issues, it, I don't know what that would have been like for a younger me to see, you know, Batman give a crap, you know, to see, mm -hmm. um, you know, Captain America, yeah, he's here for America, but he's here in this neighborhood because it's part of America and he understands what happened and the history and blah, blah, blah. And this is how he feels now. <laughs> like, I know we're not probably never going to get that kind of story, but it would just, it would hit different if Captain America was like, I get what America is and it's not what I've been standing for, you know, just how powerful that might be. Even if it's just one story, go back to the regular every day afterwards, if you want to, but just the mm -hmm. one story has a chance to live with somebody forever. And I'm hoping that Nubia reaches those kids who make that connection that a lot of us just, it never occurred to us. Especially now, since, you know, we had the, I'm gonna call it like it is a terrorist attack on the Capitol last month. And you have all of these right-wing terrorist groups rising up like it's a call to action, things like that. I don't think people, especially the people that are not familiar with comics, realize the significance of a story like that in comics, especially today. Like that would be so monumental to have a Captain America realize, oh, the America that I thought this was is not for everybody that I thought I was fighting for. Yeah, I, 
I hope that this leads to being able to have those stories and to still have stories where you just got people being awesome and shooting lightning at their fingers. You know, <laughs> we need those too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Robert, I am also very curious about what were some of the themes you wanted to convey in your artwork and how, how did you want everything to look as you were putting everything together? Um, well, the first thing that like came to mind that I really wanted to show in the book is the intimacy that like all these characters share, basically just their relationships that they have with each other, especially Nubia and um, Jason and Keisha, her two best friends that they're like the first three characters you meet in the book, you know, and I wanted readers from the first page to immediately like see how close they are to each other. And I even remember sending in my sample pages and I, it, I like feel like I understood the friendship immediately that these are just a close group of friends who, you know, they, whenever they're hanging out, someone just has to like, if one of them comes through the door, they don't have to say why they're upset. It's almost like your friends already know, you know, that's kind of like the vibe I was getting from these three. And mm -hmm. I just, I wanted them touching each other. I wanted them hugging all the time. I, there's almost, I, and Sarah actually pointed this out to me. There's almost like no panel that all three of them are in where they're not touching each other. Um, because yeah, yeah. it, it's, yeah. that is something that I, when my friends and I are together, we are constantly touching each other because we're just so grateful to be in each other's presence. And, um, I mean, it's funny now that we're in a pandemic and cannot touch each other. And it, it's like this book kind of like supplemented that, even though I didn't draw it during the pandemic. Um, but even when it came down to like her mom's, I wanted her mom's relationship to be very obvious as well. Like not just who they are with Nubia, but who they are as individuals. Something that like I really wanted to do was establish each character as their own person and then have them like be a unit. So it's, I, re, I didn't want it just to be like, yes, there is a supporting cast and then there's Nubia, but I didn't want everyone, everyone else to kind of just feel like a trope that is involved with a main character, but um, yeah. instead like a group of friends and Nubia and her parents, who are her parents without Nubia in the room, which I got to draw, which is great. I love, I love drawing her mom so much. Their height difference was <laughs> like, yeah. I, reveled in every page that Elle had where it was just the two of them hanging out um so for me like even of course there's like much deeper themes that Elle set out to write which of course she did like such a great job and drawing them was extremely like humbling again it's, that was a good word to use just because one I use a lot of reference photos when I'm drawing so either having to take pictures of myself my family or like look up images, especially when it came to like the harder scenes with the protests and like the shootings and stuff. That was, it took a really long time, you know, because I had to process a lot of like, what was going on with me, what is going on like with my family and my friends and how these are their experiences that I'm drawing on a page, things that I've experienced as well that I'm drawing on a page. And I wanted it to be as clear as possible, especially since I assume there's gonna be a lot of new people who haven't read comics reading Nubia, you know, it's, I think it's the first time a lot of young black girls are going to see themselves in a comic that, you know, it it's, doesn't stereotype them or have them as a trope or someone's like best friend that does like fashion design. That's a trope that I've been picking up a lot lately. I just want to throw <laughs> that out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, 
so I also again I I pulled on my like Archie background to to make it as simple as possible I just wanted it to be very obvious who these characters were and what they were doing and I, I know that that is just what comics is but I had that always at the forefront of my mind while drawing yeah and like I said this they just felt they felt comfortable and you, you felt like you knew these characters that's what I love about reading this was the fact that you felt like you knew these characters. And, and I work with a lot of college students. So when I was looking at this, I was like, I feel like I'm working with my students or just seeing my <laughs> students on a regular basis, um, the way they talk to each other, the way they talk to me sometimes. But, but it's still it's like, wow, like, look, this is, it was just so good, so good. Um, but I have one more question for y'all. And I just wanted to know what y'all, you know, what will you do if, Nubia is put on television, movies, or, you know, a TV show. I don't know if you can say, but who would you cast? <laughs> um, I, I honestly, and this goes for all of my work, I don't ever really think about it. Um, mm -hmm. Mostly because in the process of writing it, I know, like, I started writing this years ago. Like, two maybe three I think it might have been late 2017 mm -hmm. I might be wrong I don't rightly remember when this all started but I know it was at least two years ago and uh by the time you're finished writing something let alone it goes through production and then ends <laughs> up on the shelf anybody you might have imagined is now mm -hmm. outside of you know uh the age <laughs> bracket so I I don't know. Plus, I don't know a lot of the younger um, actors because I don't watch a lot of what they're in, not for <laughs> lack of it, but there's just, especially during 2020, it was, unless it was something like that just snatched at my attention immediately, um, a lot of it for right. escapism, I went back to stuff I liked and rewatched over again. Mm -hmm. So I, I honestly, I don't have anyone in mind um, I just know it would have to be a dark-skinned black girl with big, beautiful hair. Um, yeah. The hair has to be everywhere. All the hair, <laughs> everywhere. Um, I, the, I would love to see Nubia as an animated um, series yes. or movie. Yes. Um, so again, I have I haven't thought too much about like who would play her. I. I love live action things, but of course, I mean, I'm a cartoonist, so I, I love animated superhero stuff a lot, way, way more. Mm -hmm. um, something my brother did say to me, though, he pointed out that Nubia kind of looks like um, Marcy Martin. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's in Blackish. She's like the little twin mm -hmm. sister. Yeah. Because like she has the dimples and she has like a little space in her teeth and she's also like dark. She's very tiny, though, so maybe not. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, 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 anyone could be her voice, I guess. Any, you know, right. without seeing her yeah. face. But yeah, I, I want like a, what they did with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Like I want that for mm -hmm. Nubia. I want that for Nubia too. I want Nubia to have all the things that she <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it. That's I would true. love a show in the vein of, you know, the old Static Shock show. I would love yeah, yeah. to see yeah. a Nubia show. And then... I think it would be great because you would be able to take what happened in like the graphic novel mm -hmm. and parse it out and you know the story elements 
could be woven in and it's episodic so you'll have a chance to do that you know spoonful of reality two spoonfuls of sugar spoonful Mm -hmm. of reality two spoonfuls of you know just right because you can kind of get lost in Mm -hmm. the just the weight it can feel crushing Mm -hmm. if that's all that there is so i i would love to see again taking in care but i would yeah Mm -hmm. animated show robin yes Yes, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. I think animation gives you a, a lot more freedom when it comes to what you can do versus like a live action. Uh, that's why I've always, when it comes to DC in general, I've always gravitated towards their animation side, especially, you know, things like the Justice League or Teen Titans or, you know, anything of that nature. But like, they have never missed in terms mm-hmm. of animation, in my opinion. I, I love animation, yeah. Well, you know, y'all, I have to, again, I can't talk about this book <laughs> enough. As, as I said before, as a fan of Nubia, it was just nice to see that she was given so much in this. She right. has a personality. And, you know, when you think back when she was brought in and everything else she was just i'm Nubia. i'm the wonder woman i'm the other one on this island blah 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 it was just (laughs) that was it and then they try to remix her years ago and it just didn't feel the same but this just felt like this is what we deserve this is what Nubia as a character deserves and i just thank y'all again so much for that and the fact that y'all given us a book and so as we close i just want people to know that um Nubia real one's coming out on the 23rd Y'all better get it. Um, I've already talked to my comic uh, store about, I, I say, do y'all have this coming? And it was like, yes. <laughs> and I asked them again, yes, do you have this coming? But yes, Nubia uh, Real One is coming out on the 23rd. Um, get a copy, get however you're gonna get it, get it. It is worth it. I'm buying another copy just to have more than two copies in my house. <laughs> Uh, but I want to thank y'all today so much for coming on and talking about this amazing book. Um, and I also wanted to let y'all know that I am just starting um, um, Blade So Black, and I'm already intrigued and hooked. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't know, she has a great series, Blade So Black. Y'all need to get into it. Um, and um, we'll post some information about that, you know, on Twitter. But Again, thank y'all so much for joining us today. And can you tell us where we can find y'all on the social media platforms? Yeah, um, I spend a lot of my time on Twitter um, and that's at L on words and L is spelled E-L-L-E like the magazine. Um, I do mess around on Instagram sometimes but it's mostly pictures of my cat and then you know uh just random selfies and other things um and that's ll underscore mckinney and if you go to llmckinney.com somewhere in the upper banner there's a list of all my online shenanigans uh so it's a lot of yelling about sailor moon you have been warned Yes, Elle's Twitter is lit. I will say that I uh, I, I follow Elle on Twitter. Um, has a lot of great gems on there, especially when it comes to publishing. So that was also really good too. Um, you can find me anywhere at Robrosmo. That's R O B R O S M O. All right. 
Well, again, thank y'all so much for joining us. Um, and again, y'all, 23rd, Nubia, real, excuse me, almost sneezed, <laughs> Nubia, real <laughs> um, So please get into that book, right? Again, thank y'all for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you guys. And we will be right back. All right, everybody. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed all that. That was so much that we gave y'all today. Mm -hmm. We definitely uh, enjoyed that uh, interviewing uh, Robin and Elle. Uh, like we said, pick up that book, pick up Nubia, a real one comes out soon. Uh, and as always, you can like, rate, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and now Pandora Radio. We are on Twitter at Megasheen1. You can like us on Facebook and Instagram at Megasheen. Our website is potoftheSheen.com. Uh, is there anything else before we get up out of here? No, that is it. We are just excited for Nubia and excited for Moan Division. So y'all have a good um, rest of your week. Um, happy Valentine's Day if you celebrate it. And yeah. Bye y'all. <laughs> <laughs>